Hey, what's up, family? How are you guys doing? Man, I'm so excited to be able to preach God's word to you today. I want to just declare over you right from the beginning that um, you're coming out of this pandemic and all of these tensions that we've had racially stronger than ever. We just believe that somehow, some way, God is going to take what the devil has meant for evil and get some good out of it. I'm Pastor Ken. I pastor a live church in Orlando and Gainesville, Florida, and I'm in love with your church and your pastor and what you guys are doing there. And I'm so excited to be able to share this message that God is giving me that I believe it's a timely message. I believe it's a message that we should lean into. You should get your note taker. You should share this message. If it's good to you, um, find me on social media and say, Pastor Ken, that was all right. If you don't like it, it's okay. Act like you never heard it before, but hopefully it's going to be good. It's called Resembling Heaven, Resembling Heaven. And I want to start, I want to pray, and we're going to just jump into today's message. Excited to be with you guys on today. Father, we thank you for who you are, what you're doing. We thank you that we have this wonderful thing called technology where there's no distance in the spirit. And I understand and believe that whoever is hearing this, wherever they're hearing it, and however they're hearing it, this was a divine Kairos moment that you're able to speak to our hearts and remove the stony heart and cause us to be a people that resemble heaven, but also a church that resemble heaven. And so, Holy Spirit, have your way in me, through me, and in us today, and we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name. Come on and give me a virtual hand clap of praise right, right where you are. My wife, of course, of 20 years is Tabitha, a great family that we have, a 15-year-old. Somebody pray for me. I got a high schooler and a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old. We are the Claters. Um, love you guys so very much. Um, hey, so this message is called Resembling Heaven. And like you and me, we've both seen a lot of racial tension happening in our nation, in our world. I want to share some things that will bring some healing that will bring some harmony, that will bring some perspective to you, um, that will bring heaven to the earth, all right? I love to start off with this question. How many of you all want to experience heaven in the earth? Let me see by a virtual hand. <laughs> I want to see, come on, hit us in the chat wherever you are, okay? You want to you see heaven in the earth. Most of us do. You know, back I came out of a traditional church, and we would talk about in the sweet by and by, we would say things like, what a day of rejoicing that was going to be, meaning that we're going to go through hell here, <laughs> but we one day going to rejoice. I don't know about you. I want to rejoice here, and I want to rejoice then. I want to rejoice now, and I want to rejoice later. And the crazy thing is, is that it's part of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, in the NIV says, this then is how you should pray, meaning that you should pray this way. And I don't know what kind of prayer life you have, but when Jesus gives me a command, this is how I ought to pray, this is how I want to pray. He says, you should pray to your Father who is in heaven. So we go to the Father in his name. Hallowed be your name. That means that we worship you. We honor you. You are God all by yourself, Alpha and the Omega. Come on, beginning and the end. And then we are to pray that your kingdom come, don't miss this, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Jesus says this is how we ought to pray. Many of us call cause this the Lord's Prayer, but this wasn't Jesus actually praying. This was Jesus giving us a model of how we ought to pray. And he says, listen, you need to pray this, that what's happening in heaven should be happening in the earth. So the next question that we got to have is like, okay, what's happening in heaven? Well, I got good news to report today. There is no sorrow in heaven. 
There is no sickness in heaven. There is no divorce and abortion and pain in heaven. And there's also no racism in heaven. And so if heaven is in unity, so should we be here in the earth. We have the, the right given to us by Jesus to pray that the will of God done in the heavens also be done in the earth. All right. And so I like to say it like this, that if you, you don't like uh, people, uh, you're probably not going to like heaven because heaven going to have a little bit of everybody. You know, Revelations chapter seven says it this way. It says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that nobody could count. That means there was a lot of people, y'all. All right. From every nation, tribe, people, language. All right. That means the black folks, white folks, yellow folks, brown folks, red folks, polka dot folks, Albanians, everybody, everybody. What was they doing in heaven? They were um, they were watch this before the throne and before the lamb. All right. And so here they are standing before the throne, standing before the presence of God, standing before our king on one accord <laughs> with one voice, with one mind as one people, many people functioning as one people. So I always love to say, if you don't like, if you don't like people, you don't want to go to heaven because in heaven there's going to be everybody. And I say everybody. I say everybody. Come on, say it with me. Everybody. All right. And so we want to see this. We want to see heaven invade the earth. We want to see our churches resemble heaven. Our homes resemble heaven. Our businesses resemble heaven. Now, I understand that some of you all are in a demographic where that is literally impossible. So if the demographic of your city is 97% white, 3% black, the hope is least, you can see 3% of minorities in your congregation just giving you roundabout, uh, roundabout numbers. We don't expect for you to have a 50-50 uh, ratio or something like that, but we do expect your heart to be open, that we all have a part to play. What I found out is in church, sometimes what we do is we preach against the addiction and the bondage, and we preach that the showers of blessing is coming, and we preach about worship, and we preach about turning the other cheek, and we preach all of these good things. And sometimes we do series, and they make us feel good, and they are things that people want to hear. And it's amazing the part of the gospel that we leave out. For example, if I was to ask you to quote John chapter 3, verse 16, everybody would say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever will believe will not perish but have everlasting life. That's like the Christian scripture go-to. And when you don't know nothing else, go to John 3, 16. But if I asked you, how many scriptures do you know about racism, God's perspective on bigotry, bias, and God's perspective on injustice, <laughs> nobody's going around quoting those scriptures. And I think it's important the same way that we preach with passion for the addiction, for those who are bound, for those who are unsaved to be saved, we also need to preach um, with conviction as it relates to the injustice and empathy and a heartbreaking with those whose hearts break. And we need to preach that racism is evil and it comes from the devil himself to divide the body of Christ and it cannot be in our heart. And so sometimes we have... Um, small demographics in our city, and we're coming and we're worshiping the Lord, but we still have these evil things that are happening in our heart and our mind, and I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to use the season that we're in, as painful as it is, for us to be able to uproot um, some of the racist or biased roots, and this is not just a black-white thing. I mean, there's racist black people, racist white people, Hispanics, Nigerians against these people, and the Mexicans are this, and all of that stuff, and we have actually 
um, falling into the deception of the enemy, and we've turned on one another because we do not realize that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Racism is not just a skin issue. It is a sin issue, and we have the answer for our sin. Come on, somebody, and his name is Jesus. Somebody say amen. And so we could define racism, of course, which is this mindset that there's a race that's um, superior and a race that's inferior. Most people in church would say, no way, I'm not a racist. I have black friends. I got white friends. But do you think that you need to keep your race pure? Do you feel like one is superior and one is inferior? If so, that is a dark spot in your heart that I believe God wants to help out today. And so here was our problem. When we first started in ministry, I've been a lead pastor for 13 wonderful years. And for 10 years, we were all black. 99.999% black. But for 10 years, we preached that we were a church for all people. We put it on our business cards. We put it on our signs, our brochures, and our bulletins. Come, everybody. God sent me from Washington, D.C. to a city I didn't know one person in Gainesville, Florida. College town, go Gators. Come on, somebody. And the demographic is 70% white, 23% black, 7% other. And so I said, I'm going to where there is the majority, 70% are white. We need to make sure that we are a church for all people so that we can accomplish the vision. We preached about it. We prayed about it. We talked about it. But for 10 years, there were people who did not look like me that would come, they would leave, they would come, they would leave, they would come, they would leave. And I was trying to figure out, God, what in the world is happening? And, And it reminded me of a saying that I think Dr. King said that the most divided part of our week is on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. And it bugged me. It bugged me that even though I was preaching good, um, I would not see. And so now our church is 50-50, um, black, white, everything. You, 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 you can't tell. It's like heaven. It's really like heaven. And so, but for 10 years, I didn't know what to do. For 10 years, it bugged me. I mean, I'm talking about like nails on a, on a chalkboard. I can't believe it. I'm preaching, but all people won't come. You know, and it bugged me. It just bugged me because I saw that Monday through Friday, blacks and whites would get together. And I'm going to use those two change um, uh, races, so to say. Um, Generally, if you're brown or yellow, just throw yourself in there. We could make money together. As long as we made money, we could work in corporate America together. Monday through Friday, Saturday, we'd pass the football together. We'd win championships together. There was no color as long as we went in. You know what I'm saying? But on Sunday where the family of God should come together and lift up the name of the Lord Jesus, it was still the most segregated time in our week, and it bugged me. And do you want to know why it bugged me? And I'm hoping that it might bug you a little bit. It's because of John 13, 35. But but by this, it says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples indeed, if, everybody say if, you love one another, all right? Meaning that the world will know that we are his disciples if we got this love. Meaning that the world should be able to look to the church to see whites, blacks, yellows, browns holding hands together in small groups together, worshiping together. But unfortunately, on Sunday morning, we were seeing the exact opposite. Now, I'm, just talk- I'm not talking about you because I don't know your demographic. What I'm talking about is me. I knew the city that I was in. I knew the people that would like my preaching. I knew the people would come and be like, wow, that was a good message, but they did not stay. And I couldn't take it because I felt like we was not showing the world what the true body of Christ looked like. I couldn't stand 
there being a black church and a white church and the Korean church and the Hispanic church when we should be the church of the Lord Jesus that's not about our color but about the color of his blood. And I wanted to be a part of the solution. And so this is not something that I got overnight. This is something that years ago when I was in middle school, um, there was this situation that happened where this young girl was passing a note from me to a person behind me. You know how you're in eighth grade. That's kind of crazy. But I decided to open up the note. Had all this KKK and white supremacy and white power. And man, that thing hurt me so bad. I told other students, and there was this huge uproar in my middle school. And that girl, I didn't know if she left the school or got expelled from the school, but anyway, but it put a, it put a dent in my heart. Then I, then I started, I was in band, and I started to like this little girl. I mean, what, nothing physical? I mean, we just really liked each other. She was of a different race than I. Her dad found out about it, and man, he came to the school and um, told all of the teachers to watch his daughter, and if she was talking to me, to, to tell him, and he would bring her out of the school, and she wouldn't be able to go to the school. And I was thinking, man, I was an honor roll student. I, I sang in my church choir. I was a good guy, but all he could see is that I was a black man. So in middle school, what happened is that I started to develop biases. And I would say, whites this, or the blacks that. You know how you do, you get hurt. And then you begin to put up a defense, and now you have yourself a we versus them mentality. You know how they are, you know how they think, you know what they do, and you begin this we versus the, them mentality, but that's not the mentality of the kingdom. And so for years, I went through my life with these biases and these prejudices, which prejudice by definition is where you prejudge a person based upon how they look. They have a hood on, or basically they're tall, or they're bald-headed, or you, know, you see a person coming and you prejudge them without really knowing them. I did that for years. I got filled with the Holy Spirit about 22 years old, and it was like God removed that veil off of my eyes. He took that hurt out of my heart. And I knew after three years that I was called to plant a life-giving, multiracial, multicultural church. I did not know it would take me a decade to be able to see it. Okay. Now, I can give you all kinds of clues of how we did those things, but I want to give you five things five keys to break down racial barriers. And I believe this is the word of the Lord for your church, for your house. This is your pastor's desire. Not that you have to be a perfect church, but we do want to be more like Jesus. And if God has given us some authority to take over the spirit of division, stereotypes, prejudice, racism, I believe it's time for the church to step into it. Now, there's a lot of darkness that's on the media. We've all seen that. We've seen the rioting, but that's not, the, that's, not, that's not everybody. That's just some fools out there. That's just some crazy people. But it would be so sad for you to see what's happening and say, you know, that's just the media. That doesn't really exist. I mean, Jim Crow law stopped, stopped in 1967 and it's 1964 and it's 2020 and not realize with empathy that, yes, Oppression is generational. Hundreds of years of oppression has to be followed by hundreds of years of freedom and liberty for people to even. So it's not a natural thing. It's not about the whites. It's not really about our history. It's about a devil that has attacked a people group and our response as a church. Now, this is what I need you to know. This is the church's finest hour. So help me, God. This is the church's finest hour, that the church shines brightest where there's darkness. When there's darkness and there's chaos, that's the time where the light of God that is on the inside of us can shine brighter for all of the world to see. But here's the key. You got a part to play. I got a part to play. And I think it's time for us to not just say we love people, but love, real love, has action. And so I'm going to give you a few keys of things that you can do to break down racial barriers, if you're ready, holler at your boy. Number one, 
is that you got to get God's perspective on race. You got to get God's perspective, okay? And so here's the races that we know. We're black, we're white, we're yellow, red, brown. But what does the Bible say about race? If you look from Genesis to Revelations, I'm writing a book right now on this that will be released in the next couple of months. When God speaks about people, he speaks of them as Jew-Gentile. He speaks of them as bond-free. He speaks of them as um, light, darkness, saved, unsaved. He speaks of them in nationalities. Um, Hittites, Shittites. <laughs> that sounds funny. All of them ites that are in the Bible, you know what I mean? And so, but God doesn't mention white, black, yellow, red. Matter of fact, even when they begin to describe the tone of a person's skin, it's only a couple times, like over in the Song of Solomon, and the darkness of the skin was a thing of beauty, but it's never defined in the racial categories that we have. Now, you can take the meat, leave the bones with this. I know you will, but this is what I found out. Where does race come from as we know it? Why, why do we believe this black, white, yellow? Because truthfully, you know, my, 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 my jacket that is more like a dark blue is darker than what I am. I'm more like brown instead of black. So truthfully, where does stuff come from? Well, it comes from Darwinism and evolutionary thinking. All right, evolution is the theory that the lighter you are, the higher you are up the evolutionary chain. The darker you are, the closer you are to an ape. And the crazy thing is that this is what's being taught or was being taught or has been being taught in our public school for generations. And it's racist in its foundation because the Bible says, it don't say we came from no ape and no tadpoles. The Bible says that we've been made in the image and likeness of God. The Bible talks about how from the dust you came to the dust you're going to return. Remember in Genesis when the Bible says that God got down in the dirt or in the dust, it says, and he breathed into men's nostrils and men became a living soul. And then it talks about when you die, you're going back to the, to the dust. And I've had the opportunity to travel all around. And I remember and I realized that in North Carolina, there's red dirt. And over in West Virginia, there's some, some, some black dirt. You go to the Bahamas, there's some white dirt. And then, of course, we also got some brown dirt. And so just because your dirt is lighter than my dirt don't mean your dirt is better than my dirt. And because my dirt is darker than your dirt don't mean that my dirt is better than your dirt. It's all just dirt. And from the dirt we came to, the dirt we're going to return. But we're divided over dirt. You should hashtag divided over dirt. I can't believe that the devil has deceived generations to divide over dirt. Genetically speaking, <laughs> human beings are 99 0.5%, I believe, the same. We all have DNA. We have retina. We have hair follicles, even though mine could be a little straighter. Yours might be a more curly. We all have um, small intestines, large intestines. We all, we're, 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 we're human beings. We, we have fears. We have, a, we have a past. We have dreams. We've made some mistakes. We are a lot more alike than we are separate. What, what I'm saying is that, listen, if we have the same blood type, I might be able to get a kidney from you, but I can't get it from a black man. And, and so the narrative has to change. The devil has been able to divide us over dirt. Why? Because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. He understands that as long as we have white churches, black churches, as long as we are exclusive and not inclusive, we are a weaker form of what we are supposed to be because there is a power that is in diversity. When you like country and I like hip hop, when you like Mexican food, but I like Chinese and we all come together and we share out of the commonality of our uniqueness, we get stronger. 
<laughs> and what we thought is that, no, I'm, I'm better, so you stay over there, and we've been exclusive instead of being inclusive. And the word of the Lord is this, is that there is not multiple races. There's one race in God's, in God's eyes, and that's the human race. I need to say that to somebody again. There is not multiple races in God's eyes. It's one race, the human race. And as long as you are a homo sapien, there's different colors, ethnicities, ethnos, and, 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 and experiences from that one race. But we're not multiple races. In God's perspective, he made us all to be his sons and he made us to be his daughters. Would somebody just shout me down because I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. And so my hope for you, people have said, well, pastor, what do you think about interracial marriage? And I, don't, I just don't want my daughter to date somebody outside of their race. What do you think about it? I don't think there's a problem unless she marries Chewbacca. You know Chewbacca from Star Wars. Now, if, you, if she come down the aisle and she's walking down and, and, and I say, hey, will you take this woman to be your awfully wedded wife or husband or whatever? And he's like, then we got a problem because she's marrying outside of her species. But as long as she's marrying a homo sapien, it's not multiple races, it's one race. And I need to let you know that when races and blacks and whites come together, it's beautiful. And I know it because I've been married to somebody who's mixed for 20 years, and she's just beautiful. Isn't she lovely? <laughs> I love it when black and white come together. It creates this moco flavor, wonderful, God bless me, mixture that I just love. And the devil loves for us to divide but God loves it when we unite, for there he commands a blessing, and her name is Tabitha, and she's not saying anything, praise God. But number two, number two is you got to swim upstream. you got to go against the current. If everybody's going this way, it don't make it right. The Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road to righteousness, okay? And so it's important that we make sure that we go upstream. Sometimes people are posting and people are lashing out. And it's easy for us just to jump on that bandwagon. That's what everybody else is doing. But you got to be willing as it relates to racial tension that you go upstream. All right. Now, there's a wrong way and a right way to go about everything. But I would ask you to always pray before you post. I think it's important that, um, you know, we live in a time where people want to push us on what to post. And I think that it's important that we speak up. One of the things that you do when it comes to injustices is that we have to speak up and speak out not just the minorities, but the majority. We need the voice of the majority. And so I think it's important that we not remain silent, okay? Maybe you don't know any black people at all, but this ain't a black and white thing. It's a human thing. And when you see a broken person, listen, your heart should break with the things that break other people's hearts. Now, this is what I hear. I hear, well, what about this? And what about the police? What about all lives matters and blue lives matters? That's true. But in that moment, your heart should break. That's what it means to be empathetic, that I can walk a mile in your shoes, that I feel what you feel, okay? But at the same time, it's important for us not to feel like, well, I got to post because if I don't, people are going to say this, that, and the other. Well, that's not really out of the right spirit either. And I understand that the Bible does not tell us, thou shalt post. What it says is that we will respond to injustices, that we will, we will speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. So the Bible calls us to action. And I don't know what your action happens to be, but you need to take some action. I mean, prayer, lead a diverse small group. I'm talking about join a committee, talk to your kids, 
um, talk to people when they say racist thing out, out of their side of their neck, speak up and speak out and say, hey, what did you mean by that? Hey, you, you, that's not really proper. See, it takes all of us doing something going upstream. Every, everybody else is going this way. Everybody in your family might have bigot tendencies or biased tendencies. We all do. doesn't matter your race. Everybody can be going this way. But there takes one righteous seed that says, I'm not willing to do what everybody else is doing. I'm going to go upstream. How do you break down racial barriers? Number three, don't be weird about it. You know, people get upset if you say I'm colorblind, you know, and I get it. I get it because God has made us all these different colors, not for us to not see the color, but to enjoy our uniqueness and differences because we've all been made in his image and likeness. But you ain't got to attack people. Oh, no, we don't say that. You know, don't don't be weird about it. You know, just what people are trying to express. I'm trying to understand what you're saying. What you're saying is that you don't let that determine how you see another person. God bless you. Thank you for that. You know, I was with um, a, a friend of mine. He's a pastor guy. And it was just so weird, man. It's an older white guy. And it would be like we'd be at church and, you know, we'd be visiting, doing some missionary work or something. And it'd be me, a black dude, and two white guys. And he would just, you know, make a joke. He'd say, come on, can you get on the end? Uh, you know, let's take a picture together. You get in the middle so we can be an upside-down Oreo. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> You know, and it's cool and everything, but you got to understand where people are. You got to be, you got to be wise. Come on, tell somebody that you're watching this with. Don't be weird about it. Don't be weird about it. The same guy, I remember one time we were doing some missionary work. And so, you know, all missionaries were on the bus together out in, you know, somewhere. And um, basically, I'm the only black guy here. You know, we get on a bus load of people and I'm in front of him. He taps me on the shoulder and he says, you know, you ain't got to sit in the back no more. <laughs> And you know what the problem is with that? Like, I got a sense of humor. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to get offended. I ain't got thin skin. But the truth is, is that you're just weird, to, to be lightly. That's just being weird, and it's being insensitive. And frankly, it's not even being wise. And you know what it lets me know is that you look at me as a black man first. Here's my announcement to you. Black, I'm, more than, I'm more than my color. I'm more than what you see right here, okay? I, 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 I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor, okay? I'm a leader. I'm a person of integrity. I'm a person of character. Being black is not who, not who I am. It's what I am. So many people say, well, white is who I am. You know, no, no, no. Who I am? Who I, I'm a blood-washed, blood-bought Child of God, I'm saved by God most high. My name is found in the Lamb's book of life. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus that happens to be in a black earth suit. It's not, my identity is found in the cross, not in my race. That's a word for somebody today. Some of your identity is found in your marriage. Your identity is found in your kid when it should be found in the blood. It should be found at Calvary's cross. And so when people say something about your race, you are ready to riot and fight because that's who you are, not what you are. But if you can change and say, I am not a black pastor. I'm a pastor that happens to be black. I am not a white person. I am a Christian that happens to be, have a little bit less melanin in my skin. <laughs> Genetically speaking, guys, that's all that it is. I got a little bit more melanin, a little bit different facial features, but we are more alike than we are separately. I got to move on. How can we break down racial barriers? Number four, we got to be intentional. Here's the thing. Diversity doesn't happen by accident. It happens by intentionality. All right. 
just like a bridge. If you are going to build a, build a bridge from blacks to whites and everybody in between, it doesn't happen by accident. Have you ever went across a bridge and say, man, this just appeared. It dropped out of the heavens. Like I come from southern West Virginia. That's where I grew up. And we had a thing called Bridge Day in Summersville, West Virginia. It was the largest arch bridge in that, in that moment when I was growing up in the nation. So people used to skydive off the bridge and we have funnel cakes and thousands of people would come out in October one time a year for bridge day. Do you know how long it took them to build that bridge? They had to get blueprints together. They had to get engineers together. They had to get funding together. People had to lose their life if they, as they was trying to build this bridge. What I'm saying is that bridges don't appear by accident. It's only by purpose, intentionality. So when it comes to breaking down racial barriers, you can avoid it, you can dismiss it, you can act like they don't exist, or you can be intentional. And if you get intentional that when there is a minority, whether no matter what it is, I'm not just saying black, I'm saying minority, someone who comes into your church that is not a part of what majority you have, what if you went to them and you embraced them right away because you recognized intentionally that they need to feel like they're family? So one of the things we did that got us to where we're 50-50 now is we developed a 50-50 um, rule that everywhere in our church, so help me God, it has to be 50-50. 50-50 isn't like half white, half black. It's just saying that you shouldn't see a majority on our stage, in our pictures, on our post, people in the parking lot. We want to let people know when they come to church, they belong here. And you have to be very intentional, you know, intentional in your small groups, intentional with the guest speakers that you have in your church. For about five years, I didn't have another black person come and preach. Why? Because I preach all the time and I'm black enough for everybody. Right now, I'm trying to let other people know that they are welcome here. We went away from a certain kind of music for five years. We just went a certain way because we understood that we had to be very intentional to let other people say it's okay. And you know what that requires? Sacrifice. Sacrifice is giving up something of value for something that has greater value. So we gave up our music preferences some of our style preferences, and some of the way that we did church to make space for the lost people that are in our demographic and in our city. Intentionality sometimes offends people because they look at intentionality as discrimination when intentionality is elevation to accomplish your vision. And I need you to hear today, hear this today, that the if you want to reach your city, there should be people on your staff that represent your city, people in your teams that represent your city, people on your stage that represent your city, because if not, you will not be able to build that kind of diversity, okay? It takes intentionality. And last but not least, if you want to break down racial barriers, you have to forgive and repent. Come on, say it with me, forgive and repent. Come on, say it at the screen, forgive and repent. And I believe that the Lord has given me this as I preach this around the nation, that these are the two words that he's given me to end with because forgiveness is so much needed in Christianity. <laughs> the reason that we forgive much is because we've been forgiven of much, right? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And so I know that some of you all have been discriminated against, not just because race, because of gender, because of your, your height, because of your weight, because of how you look, and all of these different biases that we have in a fallen and a broken world, I apologize. I'm so sorry that you've had to go through that. I'm so sorry that we've had, to been, we've had to be discriminated against. But here's the thing, will you forgive? 
will you let go? You'll say, Pastor, you don't understand what they did to me. I didn't get this job. They said this. They called me this name, and they did this. And what about all of this systemic uh, racism and institutional racism? Listen, Jesus said it this way, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I know that racism has been towards whites, it's been towards blacks. If you're in South Africa, no, no matter where you are, there's Muslims against Muslims. I get it. But here's the thing for the Christian. I've been forgiven of much, so I have to forgive much. My question for you today is, will you forgive? And the second word is repent. And this is a word that we need to preach about. We need to yell from the rooftops because it is biblical and it is powerful. And it literally means to change your thinking and to change your direction. It's not just saying, God, I'm sorry for what I said about them black folks and white folks and what I said about the Mexicans and how they work hard and the Asians are aggressive. I'm so it's not just saying, like, like, I'm sorry. What it's saying is that I'm going to change the way that I think, and I'm going to change the way that I, that I behave. So when the George Floyd instance happened, I began to post very middle ground stuff. I'm a middle ground preacher. I don't preach as a black man. I preach as a kingdom man. And so I posted a couple of things because we needed to speak up and speak out only about three things. And in seven days, I lost 399 followers. You know what that was? That was showing me that there are some people, they don't want to hear this, they don't want to deal with it, and they act like it doesn't exist. We've got to change our thinking. This is a reality for many people. This is the world that many people live in. And that does not excuse your hurt and your perspective. It just means that we want to try to fix this right here, but it starts with repentance. It starts with us saying, you know what, I repent for my sins in middle school. I repent for my, my generational sins of my forefathers. I know you ain't even know them people. But the truth is, is that somebody has to stand up and begin to renounce the sins of the forefathers for they visit generation after generation down to four. And I believe there's something powerful about forgiveness in combination with repentance that brings health and healing to the local body that when we are people who are empathetic and we forgive and repent and we forgive and repent, not just one time, but we live that as a lifestyle. We're intentional. We forgive and repent. God begins to step in because he sees unity, and the Bible says there's a commanded blessing there. I want to pray for you today. My prayer for you is that you will begin to not just pray about heaven, but experience heaven in all of your spheres and all of your spaces. God, I thank you so much for every person that is listening and watching this message. I pray that it gets down in our heart. And if you're a person and you need to forgive right now someone, would you just under your breath say, God, I forgive. I forgive the person that hurt me, the person that abused me, the person that left it, laughed at me, left me, abandoned me, rejected me. God, I forgive my old boss. I forgive the whites. I forgive the blacks. I forgive. I forgive. Whew, that's powerful. When you make a decision to release people into the power of your forgiveness, and I believe there's somebody who's watching this that it's time to repent and to say, you know what? My heart hasn't been broken with the things that break other people's heart. I want to change my thinking. I want to change my behavior. You know what? I've said some things. Maybe it was a joke. Maybe it was a snot remark. God, forgive me. I don't, I don't want that, those words. By your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. I don't want those words to come up before the throne of heaven when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ. I, God, forgive me. Forgive me for those stereotypes, for those biases, for those racist comments and, and gestures and, 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 and positions. And I think there's healing for somebody today when there's forgiveness and there's repentance. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that there's restoration. I thank you right now that there's your blessing that's being released. 
I thank you that I will hear the testimonies that this is the message that moved us to the middle, the middle of your will, the center of your will, the center of your ways. And I thank you that we'll never be the same again. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're like Pastor Ken, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I would love to pray this prayer with you. You don't have to be a perfect person to be a forgiven one. Just say this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart today. Forgive me of my sins. Lord Jesus, today I give you me, all my heart, all my mind, all my soul. I'm born again. I'm saved. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Hey, let's share this message. Let's tell other people that now is the finest time for the church to resemble heaven. God bless you.